gratitude and trust, inspiration, enlightenment, and insight on how to get what you want and how to keep it. We could have been anything that we wanted to be, and it's not too late to change it. We'd be delighted to give it some thought. Maybe you'll agree that we really ought to. And now, here are your hosts, Paul Williams and Tracy Jackson. Good morning, Paul Williams. Good morning, Tracy Jackson. How you doing? I'm doing really good today. I feel good. Do you? I, yeah, well, I started out a little frazzled and rattled, and I've, I've, you know, you breathe. When you start getting rattled or whatever, and you're trying to do too many things at once, it's, the thing to do is to get into the moment, right here, right here and right now. Take a deep breath, and I can breathe my way back to Polly Ram Das Williams to, to the Polly Lama uh, of of podcasts. You know, it sometimes gets me a little bit anxious. I, I I've gone back to that thing. You know, because our paperback came out last week. When you get a book published, you tend to have this period of time. Everyone calls it like the Amazon crazies, where you check every day your score on Amazon. Yeah. So people say, how are you? And you go, I'm number 585, I'm number 367, I'm 12 in self-help. You know, everything in your life gets categorized by where you are. I'm five in recovery. I'm five, well, we were one in recovery for a long time. We were one in recovery. But, so I started doing that again when the paperback came out. I, I dropped it after about, you know, you, you can only do it for so long because you just want to blow your brains out or you're just, it becomes so narcissistic. So I stopped doing it. And, and, you know, I would send you little screenshots sometimes because I'd oh, wake I up know. ahead I'm, of you. I'm and very you're, excited. You very know. excited. So anyway, but it went on the other day. And sometimes I just thought, okay, I was looking at our reviews because I don't know why, because I wanted to looking get at, I now, want we're, approbation. You're about, are you talking about the people reviews? No, or the, 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 the reviews that people send in on the book. So because I wanted approbation. Not wanted, newspapers no, or whatever. No, 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 no. The Amazon reviews. Amazon reviews. So I looked, and it's pretty awesome because we have with 80% five-star. Wow. That's like really, really good. That's is, like 80%. That right. Yeah, it's amazing. But so most people write in and five-star is the highest you can go. And they say, this is a five-star book. We had one one-star, which is as low as you can go. So I'm like, okay, who's the creep who doesn't like us? I have to go to the one place I'm going to get, you know, some criticism. So I go to the one-star person and I read the review. And the review says the following. It says, I didn't read the book. I saw them on Oprah. That was the book review. That like was, they didn't read the book. I thought we were charming on Oprah. Well, well this person did not. So wherever they are, you know, they have an, they have an alias. You're not going to find them. But you may have thought we were charming on Oprah. Oprah may have found us charming. Soul Sunday followers liked us. No, I tell you, this one person, whoever they are out there, maybe they're listening. They didn't like us. But what I we love, do have amongst us a couple exes. <laughs> I know, but that could be too. We do have we do have a couple exes. But what I think is funny, I always find this really amusing online, is people. People love to argue with each other. So they could start out talking about, say, even, you know, I don't know, global warming. And then they end up arguing about which beetle was their favorite, yeah. paperback riser. But, I mean, they, they, they end up literally. So this person, you know, so this woman said, or man, I don't know what their sex was or gender. They said, I did not read the book. I saw them on Oprah. So they get one star. All right, fine. Then the other person wrote back and said, well, you can't review a book that you haven't read, and which was great. I was like, yeah, one for the home team. Thank yeah, you, whoever yeah. you are. I don't know you because they all have these goofy names like, you know, Kitty Cat Lover 7. And 
<laughs> and then, oh my God, it is my ex-wife. Your ex-wife. <laughs> and uh, that would not be my ex-husband. We did not have cats. And then they start arguing, these people, about what they think is a book review, which is fine because it got us off us. I just thought, I just thought that was pretty funny. That was, my, that was my kind of funny moment. Some of, people have too much time on their hands. I don't know. Why do you think people like to argue online? People argue on my Facebook page. And I'm thinking, why are you arguing on my Facebook page? Why do you care? My feeling is, if, would you ask me what my opinion is? I just did. That was my way of asking you what your opinion was. Well, what I'm thinking is this, is I think that, that it's the language that they know best, probably from their childhood, probably from their home life, that they've slipped into this relationship with either a parent or a sibling or whatever, where they, the way that they know they connect is they go back to this one place where they say something mean to each other, boom, all of a sudden that's the language of the relationship, and this is now seeping into social media. And what you get to, in addition to that, the turbocharger is you have anonymity, because you can sit there and be just the most horrific person in the world and say any nasty thing you want to because you're not there. It, you're, you are so right about that. And I think, you know, I have a policy, which is I don't write anything online. Every single discussion site that I'm a member of or anything else, it's always my name. I there, I will not say anything that I'm not afraid to have my name attached to. Exactly. So exactly. anyway, so that, well, that's... you're healthy. That's, you're healthy. Well, see. some days yes, some days no. But that is but that is my attitude. So I think that that's... Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Well, today, I'm, I, you know, speaking of books and speaking of knowledge and speaking of... We have just, we have someone, but one of the things I love about doing this podcast, amongst the many things I love about doing this podcast, and, and I do love many things, is the variety of people we get to speak to, that it's opened so many doors to in my brain. You know, I started reading, I over, you know, our guest today is an astrophysicist. Okay, now you and I... And an astro... Incidentally, this is what's amazing, as, an, as a quick interruption here, is that this is also an astrophysicist that your 14-year-old daughter loves. Well, and if you had a 14-year-old daughter, they would love them too. I mean, this, this, guy, this guy's a rock star. He's a rock star astrophysicist. I mean, it's pretty awesome. But, you know, all right, I'm... Science was not my strong point in school. Was it yours? No, no, nothing. I mean, I'm just not getting dunked in the pool was my main, you know, that's that, that what I thought about, about. Maybe that was just about water and gravity. But the truth is, but the truth is that you and I never discussed science. No. We, no. We've never, I mean, in all our discussions for decades, we've never sat down and said, Paul, what do you think of the cosmos? What do you think of, what do you think of the, uh, see, I don't even have science language to use. However, I've Let's been reading. about quantum theory. Uh, yeah, I'll quantum theory, quantum you. physics, neuron. Anyway, so, but in reading Neil deGrasse Tyson's books that opened me up and I've started also reading Carl Sagan's books and all of a sudden I'm looking up at the sky and I'm looking at the world in an entirely new way and it's really quite thrilling I'm really interested in science I listen to his Star Talk podcast and I'm learning new things every day Carl Sagan I think was something of a mentor to, to Neil he was a mentor and, uh, to Neil, Neil he, sort of, he passed on the baton to Neil and Neil is passing it on to you and you or to your listeners at some point Neil has not passed on the baton <laughs> of Carl Sagan and astrophysics to me wanna, at all I'm gonna I'm gonna slay I want to slay you with a bit of information the though. world's if, in if big you, trouble if, you, if that's if, the case if you want if you want to hear something that is really gonna just sound really bizarre you know we were recording in New York and all and I actually had to leave early and was not able to to, to do a, a, a little a little acting job that I had in New York so I did that acting job when I got back in LA and everything and it's for a show called uh, Future Worm so I walked onto the set into the studio to record the voice of this character that I do for Future Worm and they said you know who you missed in New York Neil deGrasse Tyson we're, we're both 
Is he a future worm as he, well? He does. He does a character on future. So worm you're as both well. future we worms. We are now like we met on podcast one, and then suddenly the universe went nice combination. So I'm telling you, the we, cosmos, the cosmos, the cosmos put you together as worms. No, we we need to bring those you, creatures we, we need that to, live in the earth. We need to bring you into the fold, and you know, and get you in there as a character on future worm as well. We're coming back with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, he's got three names. Here we are with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Welcome, Neil. Well, thanks for having me, yeah. guys. Oh, my gosh. An honor. We had never met before. It's great to see you. Oh, yeah. It, it, right. And uh, I, whenever, I, as an astrophysicist, if people who are not astrophysicists want me to come and talk, I think that's a good sign. It means people are feeling the universe in some way, and they want a piece of it. <laughs> it's your communicator passion. It's you know, and and, and what you have it. before you here is you have two people. Mm-hmm. This is what's really interesting. You have two people. Neither one of us went to college. Mm-hmm. It's a, a miracle that I got out of grade school oh, <laughs> and then no. high school. No, no, no. I flunked algebra four times. Mm-hmm. Um, scientifically, I'm completely. Dota. We thought to ourselves, wow, when we interview Neil, we could probably just let him sit in the chair and talk, yeah. and it would be fine, or we just, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. Because, but what I think is amazing about you, and when we listen to you, is you just do apply to everyone. You do, you make science fun. How did you come up with the idea of making science fun? Well, it was fun to me, right? If it's fun to me, and, and uh, Carl Sagan famously said, when you're, you're in love, you want to tell the world. And there I am in love with the universe, and I want to be able to share that when and if I can and when I can, and to share that love. And when I'm agape looking through a telescope at Saturn's rings, I don't want to be the only one experiencing that. Yeah. And so I grab people off the street, <laughs> pull, pull them behind the telescope, and say, look at this. This is, this is our backyard in yeah. our universe. And so that, I've felt that since I was a kid. And I still feel it to this day. But I think what you're really getting at is what what are the tactics that might be necessary to make that happen? Because I can't just grab everyone and sh- shove them in front of my telescope. That doesn't work in yeah. practice. So what I found is that s- since science manifests in so many ways that people are not aware of, if I show people why science matters in their lives and why thinking about the universe is kind of cool, um, then they meet me halfway, right? They already have a pop culture sense of the world. And I layer the science onto that landscape. And then we just have fun on that, on, yeah. in that playground that we've mutually created. You're the equal sign between the two languages. And I incidentally... Well, I like in a, that. Oh, my God. You, you are, and Ooh, it, I always wanted to be an equal sign. That's a nice image, Paul. Like that. See, there's the, the lyricist in him. We live in a world where everybody... See, I was thinking it was the mathematics mathematician. No, he, he's not yeah. remotely... The ma- no, he's the lyricist. He's not remotely mathematical. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not. But I am But I am observant. And what I observe is that we're living in a world right now where, where people are, are, you know, my as my wife says to me, stop staring at your hand. My head is tilted down looking at this information highway which is so involving and, and also speaks to my ego and it keeps me there looking at the world that's about Paul and whatever. And the fact is what you're doing is you're saying, step, you're using this to, to pry my little head up to look back at the sky. Yeah, every, every now and then you've got to look up. Yeah. In life and in the universe. That's a gift. What is it about the stars? You know, the, uh, because 
I was thinking about this the other night, not just because I've been thinking more about you in the last couple of days in preparation for today, but I grew up in California where there were tons of stars. I grew up in a small town in California where you looked up and there were always stars. And I've lived in New York for so many decades now. You get used to not seeing stars when you live in New York. Yeah, New Yorkers do not have a relationship with the night sky. And then I go out of our house, <laughs> out of our house in the country, near where you live in the country, and I look up. What is it? And you look up and you go, there are stars. And every time I see the stars, it is like I'm seeing them for the first time. There is something about them. And I, what is it? Well, that's how I felt when I was nine, when I, having grown up in the city, again, where no one has any understanding or sight lines to the universe. You look up, there's a street lamp, there's a tall building. And back when I grew up, there was light, much more light pollution and air pollution. So the sky was not a happening thing. So my first encounter with the night sky was the Hayden Planetarium. Uh, right where you now work. Yeah, where, where I'm now serving Run. as director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That story plays better in like a small town, you know. Small town kid goes out and it comes back and runs the thing. Bronx, Bronx. You now nobody. You walked a couple blocks and there you were. In in New York, nobody cares that that happened that way. But uh, that was a fully fleshed out night sky. On the level where I thought it was a hoax, I thought this can't be real. But I'll just accept it just because it's a, it's a pleasant hoax. One of my experiences with the, what you're talking about is on a cruise ship. And, you know, like a cruise ship is a lot of drinking, a lot of food, a lot of, you know, like, like bad Bermuda shorts and everything like that. Bad Bermuda you're, you're, shorts. You know, you're kind of with you're crowded into this boat with a lot of people that are that are celebrating. But, and, but to walk out on deck at night in the middle of the Pacific. And to look up, you get a, 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 this, this remarkable view of the stars that, that you get nowhere. That well, I never there have been before. some hypotheses, and I don't know that how to anchor them in, in any actual genetics, but human beings, we are awake in the day and we sleep at night. This is generally how our species yeah. works. And we are one of the few animals, maybe the only mammal, that is completely comfortable sleeping on our backs. All right? Practically wow. every other animal is sleeping face down during the night. That's safer probably than sleeping belly up. Regardless, we are completely comfortable sleeping on our backs and we're sleeping at night. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, you are staring at the universe, not the dirt beneath you. So did that come from the cavemen? Yeah, well, exactly. So I wonder whether our curiosity for what goes on in the night sky is simply a natural part of what it is to wake up in the middle of the night and wonder. That you could find the light to get to the bathroom in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, the, the point for me about, about the whole thing on the cruise ship is watching the way it changed the people as a group who looked up. Because mm-hmm. they, they made an announcement inside everybody's eating, where everybody's overeating, everybody's drinking. They said, please step out on the deck and, and take a look. There was something going on. I don't remember specifically what it was. But we walked out onto the deck, and I watched this group of people change. Their emotional, you know, it's as if their spiritual content changed. Their, their collective energy changed. It was like they looked up, and, and that, that wonder infused the group, and, and I felt a change in the group. Well, historically, of course, there is no shortage of civilizations when they invoke power of deity and spiritual powers. They're looking up for that. I don't know any gods of anybody who are not above them, right? If they're below your feet, they're bad. <laughs> they're bad okay? people. Yeah, we don't <laughs> right? want to look at them. So we've always yeah. looked up and imagined something greater than ourselves or some something. And that's been the repository of our wonder. And in the era of science, we can now address precisely what it is you're looking at with no less wonder because, yes, we can answer some questions that opens up new ones. So the scientist looks up and wants to know how it all works with no less 
no less enthusiasm and no less wonder than earlier people who looked up and placed all of their gods in the sky. Yeah. See, that's what's so great about science. There isn't. It is an answer for everything in there. Well, no, we, we, we. I mean, for most, I mean, really, when you start thinking about it, I mean, I didn't pay attention during science, so this is a revelation to me now at this stage of my life listening okay. to you. But it's true. You know, when you say something like that, that they laid on their backs and they looked up at the stars and that was the light or that was what they were. It's, it's really. Wonder. It's wonder. And then, yeah. there's, and then there's another door you open and you go through and another door you open and you go through. And, you Correct. Just spend your... and we don't know if there's ever an end to it. And in fact, Vannevar Bush, who I forgot how he's related to the Bushes, but he is, uh, he was a. Um, an advisor uh, back after the Second World War uh, uh, in, in government who published a work called Science, the Endless Frontier. And it was the first ep- explication that science can be this place where you use your wonder to make discoveries. And upon making those discoveries, you land in a new vista and see questions previously undreamt of. And that then continues your pursuit. And it is that document that spawned the birth of the National Science Foundation and other branches of the government that recognizes the value of this as a, an eternal pursuit of our species. Not to change the topic, because I know it's like, we'll get back to all this, it's all going to be science and other, actually other things. Paulie and I, what we're interested in, and I want to bring a little of it in today, we're interested in the science of people. I mean, that's what we. People that's what motivates us. Yeah. I know. The universe people, is easy yeah. compared to y'all. No, but, but, <laughs> we're, but we're really interested in what makes people. In the same way you're interested in what makes the world the world, what makes things the way they are. Mm-hmm. We're very interested in what makes people the way they are. How do people get to who they are? Mm-hmm. And and how do they go about? And changing how do they go about changing who to. they are? How do they go about? The more pro- the essence too. Projecting who they are into the world, doing what they do the way you do, turning what you're turning yourself into what you've turned yourself into, which is quite phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I want to just go back to your childhood a little bit, if, if we may. Can mm-hmm. we do that? Because I, And you're presuming that the childhood matters to me as an adult. That that very question presumes that. It does. And, and I would, I don't want to say that I would question that, but I, what I would say is I think too many people will look to their childhood and say, that's why I am the way, way I am now, and I can't change it. You know, they'll point to something, an ancestor, incidents in their lives, and that somehow codifies who they are from the present going into the future. And wow. and so I and I try to distance myself from any such claimed forces. We don't number one, we don't believe that because mm-hmm. in our in the book that we wrote, Gratitude and Trust, our mm-hmm. first affirmation is something needs to change and it's probably me. Mm-hmm. Our entire the, the bedrock on which we stand is we're all responsible for our own presence, our own mm-hmm. futures and our own lives. It doesn't mean, however, that what happened in the past didn't influence who you became as a person. Mm-hmm. I, I think what came to me. I agree. I, I agree. think I think what came to me this weekend because I was reading the new uh, Tiny Shikotes book, Between the World and Me, which mm-hmm. is, I haven't read that, but, but you thank know you about for it. To my you, you know about it, and they, they call him the new James Baldwin, and he he grew up as a African American male later than you did, but his experience is very different than yours from what I can glean from your childhood. He's he has a I'm not going to say an angry outlook because that sounds negative, but certainly a a more Wounded outlook as a person. What you said something that I read in the in the New Yorker, and I want to know because it's so interesting to me. You said that your mom said that just keeping my kids on the straight and narrow, and getting them not to hate people in some instances because of the way they were treated was a full time job. I think in today a climate. Just to that be ex- clear, I didn't say that. They actually went to my mother. Your mother. I, said I was not it. quoting my mother. My mother was quoting herself. Okay. <laughs> they found her, and yeah. I, that's a, a, it, apparently what she said. Yes. But in today's 
climate where there is a lot of racial tension and, and kids and, and problems, which there has been, what did she do? What what because she she did say it, I I didn't quote it probably that it was your mother who said it, but what did your mother do do you think that that influenced all of you so you didn't go through the world because it seems like you grew up thinking you could do anything yeah this this gentleman actually didn't when you read the book so I'm just curious juxtaposing the two individuals at this moment what did your mom do well I, okay so uh, I would describe it differently from how you entered the question okay all right I have a brother and a sister and we grew up in the Bronx. And every weekend, it felt like every weekend, my parents would take the three of us to some cultural institution, some thing that talented adults were engaged in. It could be a hockey game, a basketball game, the opera, Broadway musicals, uh, uh, off-Broadway plays, the art museum, the science museum, the natural history museum, the zoo. We did this every single weekend. And this in retrospect, to me, became our sort of um, a, a kind of baptism in what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. Because they're not telling us what to be. They're not buying me a chemistry set, wishful that I will become a scientist. They're allowing us to be exposed by natural causes, organically, if you will. And then they made note of where any one of the three of us took interest upon taking note would then support that interest. And my first visit to the Hayden Planetarium, I was starstruck by yeah. that moment. And it was that support that pursued. My brother was an artist. He ended up attending the High School of Music and Art before it merged with the Juilliard, not, I mean the... Um, the uh, high School of Performing Arts? Yeah, yeah, the, the LaGuardia School oh, of yeah. Arts, yeah. Uh, high school. And there. yeah, the High School of Music and Art and High School of Performing Arts merged into that. And so, as I understand the, the tracking, and so, my sister is the one sellout. She went into business. <laughs> <laughs> but you were offered a, what, what I'm hearing is you were offered this beautiful buffet, a cultural buffet of science, of art, of of, of you know, all, you know, these are the these amazing roads you can you can take you know towards your life. What exactly? And they weren't saying here, pick one. It yeah. was just we're just having fun on the weekend with but family. What's and no one told you you it, couldn't be anything. But I mean, it, which a lot of fam- which a lot of kids grew up thinking. Well, but. I knew there were things that society had no interest in me becoming, like an astronaut. Uh, You know, I have strong memories of the 1960s while we're going to the moon. And every astronaut had like a crew cut hair (laughs) in an era where the the number one musical on Broadway was called Hair. (laughs) We were all about hair. So there was a a big disconnect to many things at the time. But um, so it was clear that society had certain expectations. But I did what I loved, and I didn't think much beyond that. So you that. didn't let, you never let those expect because so many people let their ex- society's expectations rule their choices, and then they then it they kind end of up re- did. There were expectations I'd be an athlete if I can, but I, you didn't want to do that though, right? If, if I have, but there's this amazing moment in your childhood that you were talking about this morning, Tracy. That is that is well, when you, indicative. When the cops- um, indicative exactly the story of being on, on the roof when yeah. you know and why is he up there on the roof and what's going on there and all, where you're you at that I mean at that moment you were already teaching you were already was that an aha moment like an Oprah aha moment for you uh, no it's just that the cops you know, tell, on the roof the story, to me yeah. it's what he, he was no. already Neil Tyson yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well I grew up in again in the Bronx in a building that was 22 stories tall and a great place to drag your telescope to the rooftop of a, of a tall building where you can then see over other obstructions. And 22 stories is tall for the Bronx in the day. 
wouldn't be tall in Manhattan, of course. And um, someone from another building saw me on the rooftop with this bazooka-looking thing sticking out. <laughs> and so the, uh, the police Weapon. came. Yeah, the police came, and they approached me you know, kind of hand near the weapon, but I'm, I've got, happen to have Saturn, you know, and this, this is my, the foundation of my Saturn salvation, if you will. So, so, so uh, what do you got there? I said, oh, it's a telescope. I was looking at the universe. I want to see Saturn. And then they look at Saturn and they, they freak out. I mean, in a positive way. And, um, <laughs> I love that. And so it, it was a reminder that there are people who, regardless of their suspicions, they can still be lured by the universe. It is such a beautiful story, though. Was it, in that moment? Did you did you realize? Yes, I have the power to. No, the universe has the power. Yeah. The universe I'm has the power, conduit. but I'm a conduit. But no, did sure. You, but oh. you knew then. But oh, you knew yeah. then. If oh. you could turn these cops who came up there thinking, "What's this kid doing on the roof with this thing?" and perhaps wouldn't have been as friendly, did you at that moment think? This, there's great power in the knowledge that I can no, share. I wasn't, you know, how old? I couldn't, you, you know, I was 16? 14 or oh, something. Oh, really young. Yeah, yeah. It's not, I wasn't thinking that deeply about it. This was a kind of a one-on-one. I wasn't saying, now I will take over the world. You know, no. <laughs> you, you were in love. love. You were I in love. love. I was in love, and so I was sharing the love. In a yeah, movie, that would have been the love. moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. But it's a very, it's, cinematically, if you were doing a film of your life, it's a great moment. It's truly we have to a get Denzel moment. Washington to agree. Well, we, we have to get the, the child version of oh, yes, and then, and then on the roof. But no, because it's a very unifying and it's a very beautiful moment. So it, mm-hmm. it, it stuck out for me, and, and I want to know what that meant to the, you. The other thing, the thing that occurred to me, and I mentioned this earlier as well. I mean, I was brilliant when you were in the room. Yet you should have heard me. I was fantastic. But but we're talking about the easiest way to start a fire is with another fire. A caveman, for, you know, if you had something that was burning, you put that to a log, and the log catches fire. Is that like fire. how to become a millionaire? So start with a million dollars. Passion, your fire mm-hmm. from I mean almost from the very beginning of, of your being consumed by this this great affection for you know for the stars and the worlds beyond that passion became something you could translate immediately to the, to people around you. It's clear. Yes, yes, and but let's be clear. I've got good material. You know, the universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm dishing out some really good material. But it's material everybody else has had too. It's not like this material just appeared in a FedEx box. You, there, that you was say it this. Different. All of this was there for everyone, someone else to. That's an idea. Can I send this in a FedEx box? <laughs> <laughs> you got me thinking on. now. <laughs> because you say something. You say we are seduced by the answer, but not by the right journey to the answer. Yeah, the people... And I love that quote. Well, Can you talk tend, about that? Well, it's it's not a new idea. I know, I'm but I... am just sort of re-explicating it. Yeah. People at school in particular, you're rewarded for getting the right answer. Yeah. And if you get all the right answers, you get the high grade, and then you become valedictorian, and then you give the speech. And the path to that answer, whether or not you even arrive at that answer, is something that is hardly respected or... Or, uh, in, or uh, cherished. And in science, you cannot enter science with the answer as a prerequisite for why you're going in. You're going into science because the journey to the answer is what stimulates you. The fact that you do not have an answer is what gets you out of bed every single morning and you run to the lab in search of it. So the search matters. And what uh, something that concerns me, and one day I'll write this up, but uh, there's, there was an essay by Isaac Asimov called The Relativity of Wrong. Mm-hmm. The, relativity, and, uh, the of... relativity of Wrong. Wow. And in it, he gives an example. 
and I'm paraphrasing the example, but let's say there's a spelling bee and you're asked to spell cat. And you spell it, Paul, you spell it C-A-T. Well, you, you get the right answer. Uh, exactly. Okay? Now, uh, uh, you spell it K-A-T. Well, that's going to be marked wrong because it's wrong. But now I spell it X-Q-V. That will be marked equally as wrong as K-A-T. Yet it's not equally as wrong. In fact, you could argue that K-A-T is a more legitimate way to spell cat than C-A-T because that's, in fact, how they spell it phonetically in the dictionary. And so we live in a world where the intermediate thought process, where you're mostly right, and then there's some insight there, gets zero credit at all. And as a result, we lead these binary lives. Was I right? No, I was wrong. Yeah. No, there's a whole spectrum in the middle of that. And you know something? Some interesting pathways come from it. I, I did this, these experiments with my kids. I had my kids from very early on notice flags because they're beautiful and they, they have a lot of symbolism and they billow in the wind. So there's some physics in how they billow. Just had them notice them. And then I had my daughter uh, n notice the American flag. And I'd say, I asked her, how many stripes are on that flag? And it's billowing, so it's hard, and we're in a car. And so she's staring at it hard. She said, and then she says, after like 10 minutes, she says, eight. Now, I happen to know the answer is 13. There were 13 colonies, and that's why there are 13 stripes. So rather than say you're wrong, the right answer is 13, I asked, how did you get eight? And she says, well, there are eight of those. So Sorry, there's seven. Uh, she said seven. There's seven of those red stripes. Ah, so she, she didn't count the spaces she, in between. She didn't count the spaces in between. Now, if I took out a piece of paper and I drew on it, seven lines, and I ask you how many lines are there, you're going to say seven. You're not going to say 13. So her answer wasn't wrong. It was just different because she imagined a flag with this white sheet of paper and someone laid down seven stripes. Yeah. So, so I've been very careful to explore what was the thought process that went into someone's answer. Same thing happened with my son. Um, I had him look at buildings on one side of the street and the other because on any one side of the street, they're not continuous. They yeah. skip numbers, right? And the even on and one how side. How old is he at this? I don't remember. Very, you know, four really or five. Old. So yeah, yeah right. no, no, young, young. When they're learning to count, yeah. Yeah. and then so I had them pay attention to this. Just to, all right. So then I tested him to see if he can count by twos because that's what this is. The houses skip numbers, sure. right? So I said, "Can you count by twos?" And he says, "Yeah," because uh, you already know how to count. Can you count by twos? And he said, "Yeah." I says, "Go." And he says, "Okay, one." I said, "No, no, no, count by twos." And he said, "Yeah, no, I, I know what you." One. I said, no, no, okay. So then rather than say, no, let me help you here, I said, all right, let me just let this run its course yeah. and see what happens. And then he goes, one, three, five, seven. He's counting Patience. by twos. Patience, father. He's doing his own way. Patience, father. He is counting by twos in no less legitimate a way. His own way, though. It, 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 but it's, it, it's a proper way, but it's a different it is, way. That is a completely legitimate way. But you expected two, four, six, eight. I, I naively and restrictedly expected the what any one of us would have given as an answer to that. And so the thought process matters. And so I value that. Getting That's my long answer to your but question. But schools do not do that. No, I they mean, don't. At all. At all. And it's Essentially. Essentially. Well, I, they didn't do it, certainly for me, and they didn't do it for you, I think, and it's one of the, and I think when I went home that night, when I first met you and you said, tell your daughter, she will know who I was. 
And I, because we've said well, that. Well, you told me the age of your daughter. And, and I, I, I went home and I said, okay, so, so I said, because you had no, we had dinner I, together. And I didn't know who you were. So I was not like, no I just thought you were totally fascinating and charming. And I have and, no ego invested in whether someone recognizes No, but, and you but I knew me. if you had a kid in that age range, she'll know. No, I, mean, I had well, I just wish I'd met you back in the days when I was drinking and using because I'm at that point, QVT would have been the way to spell cat. So I went home to Lucy and I said, okay, so I had dinner with this charming man last night who, um, Said that I, you would know who he was, and I said, uh, I said he's his name is um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He goes, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is like the coolest guy ever. He came and spoke at my school. What do you mean you didn't know who he was, Mom? That is like not knowing Kanye, okay? <laughs> I, went, I was thinking okay. the same thing. Right? Said, okay, so, you know, weekends are spent pretty much just taking me down 20 notches on everything I know. But so she said that you came and spoke at Friends Seminary when she went, where she went to school. This is some, some years ago, yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. she's not there now. And just turned these kids' heads around. And it, I was a, just to be clear, I was a visiting lecturer. Yeah, you just went lecturing. Yeah. And I gave a lecture on chemistry, physics, Astrophysics and mathematics, and I, but in ways that fully. And what mattered. was the age range of the? No, the high school, high, oh, school. high school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she was younger than that because she didn't. She left there before high school, so she. Oh, some, so there was the middle school was there as well. She, okay. she was, and she was at the bottom of the middle I school. I think maybe not all grades got the same. Okay. But you know, Neil, these are topics, and if it's if you're a kind of a creative person, the way Paul is, the way I am, and your brain, and our brains work. You know, God knows. I mean, you write songs, I write books. I mean, we, we've been able to function and and be successful but if you put a problem in front of me or you even say the word chemistry physics biology i start to quiver that that my brain will not go to that place that i am somehow deficient therefore scares the shit out of me neil therefore (laughs) and i know this in advance yeah so when i gave those talks at that school it was not a prerequisite that you meet me on my terms what I did was meet you on your terms. And so uh, so for the chemistry part, I gave an entire talk on the periodic table of elements. People to this day shake in memory of seeing these this chart of boxes in the front of their chemistry class. But instead, what I did is, here are all these elements. This is everything that anything in the universe is made of in these, hundred, in these 92 elements that you see. Everything, this is your kitchen. Just open the cabinets, the cupboards, these are your ingredients. Everything in this universe is made from that. Everything. And here's some interesting things. For example, there is an element that was discovered on the sun before it was discovered on Earth. So we named it after the sun. The sun god Helios. That became helium, for example. There's another element uh, that was discovered just after William Herschel discovered the planet Uranus. They named the element after that. That became uranium. And they saved they saved an element right after uranium in case we discovered more planets, and indeed we did. The next element after after uranium is Neptunium, named after the planet Neptune. Neptune. And then the next element after that was discovered ten years after the cosmic object formerly known as a planet, Pluto, oh, yes, was did. discovered, oh, yeah. and that gives us the famous plutonium? element, plutonium. So Pluto was on the periodic table on false pretense, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> now, are you so still- all of this, this table is is our culture, the culture of discovery, yeah. and of um, the right-hand column of elements. These elements don't create molecules with anybody else. 
And if you remember your chemistry, the chlorine. I don't understand that. Okay, <laughs> so you know, so you have uh, you have like oxygen, and it, it combines with hydrogen. We're in the slow make, class to make H two O. You get uh, water. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you have sodium and chlorine. They come together, to make sodium chloride. That's table salt, yeah. right? So you have these elements, and they come together to make other things with cool properties. Yeah. Okay. There's a column of elements. They don't combine with any other element. Okay. The Brits discovered most of these first, and then they decided to name the entire column of elements. You know what they call them? The noble gases. And to this day, people will know they're called noble gases and not why. They call them noble gases because the noble class doesn't interact with anybody else. Ah, So so their their asinine class system is embedded in the periodic table of elements. And I get pissed off every time (laughs) I think about this. But they discovered this column of elements and they got the naming rights for it. Now, we got naming rights too. Some of the heavy elements. There's an element called americium, named after America. That's the active what ingredient. What is it? Uh, What's americium? Uh, so that's an that's so you have a new element now. What do you do with it? All right. So you start testing it. What properties does it have? Can we exploit them in some interesting way? That is the that is the active ingredient in essentially all smoke alarms of the world today. Smoke alarms use americium, an element we manufactured in a laboratory. That element doesn't even exist in nature. Wow. So this is the kind. The point is not not to make this a chemistry lesson. No, but, it's interesting. But We're learning in the class. I am describing chemistry and these elements in ways that manifest in our culture and our everyday lives. And we are old enough at this table to remember that you were prompted as children to wear uh, flame retardant pajamas and have flame retardant um, uh, uh, blankets for children in the bed. And between you and me, if the flame is so intense in your home that your pajamas might spontaneously combust into flames, it's too late. You're done. Okay. You're over. okay. So what has actually saved lives are these smoke detectors more so than whether your pajamas will or will not spontaneously combust combust under heat. So so these are discoveries that are made. And this is science manifesting in our everyday lives. And that's how I gave the talk. Let me be the, let me jump in and be the latest example of what happens to one of your talks and, all, and uh, uh, the information that you're imparting. Let me let me show you what a little information does to a guy, somebody like me. It, it scrapes across my brain and it fires up and everything. I I was listening to the podcast with the, uh, about the Hubble, not just the Hubble telescope, but the Hubble, it's essentially a, fly, a a an orbiting planetarium, right? I yeah, mean, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, orbiting observatory. Yeah. So, in the midst of this conversation, you talk about the fact that you share the information that in like six years it's going to fall out of orbit if it's not if it's not financed. Yeah, yeah. My reaction, and I think this is something that I went running into the room with Tracy because I have discovered this. You know, I have this jewel moment. We can make a difference. What, what would you like to do with with gratitude and trust podcast? What could the, the best Good thing that the, that this podcast could do the most wonderful, kind, el- fantastic element to bring to to the world is to remind people that that we're going to lose something spectacular in a few years if they if if the government doesn't jump well, up so, from. So it depends. So this is an interesting trade off because there are things that are in orbit or in, uh, currently funded and getting good data, and now by the way we confront this every every year. My community confronts this. You can say we can keep this thing going. It wouldn't have to be Hubble. It could be anything. Yeah. Or there's a new pot of money. We have a new idea for a new kind of telescope that will get a kind of data we've never gotten before. 
to answer questions we've never dreamt of. And so with, there's always this trade-off. And in there is a balance. And there's always something yeah. new coming down the pipeline. There's always something new coming down the pipeline. And the, and, the, and the fact is that this president's going out, a new president is coming in. How in the hell That's do you another, deal with yeah, that? Oh, my God. Started. Yeah, the, the continuity problem. Is oh, like, my how, God. All right. How about – I know it's, it, I know nothing's touched you with you, but, but, but how about the fact that they – now that – we know we, – everyone knows your stance on Pluto. But now well, that, so much a stance. But I mean, now it that, is what it is. Okay, okay but now there's shoot pictures. the messenger. <laughs> I'm not, but, it's not a stance. It is, Pluto is little. Okay. Seven moons are bigger than it. That That's not a stance. But, but now that these photos have come back mm-hmm. last week, has that changed anything about your mind at all? Or you just still think this is a puny little nothing and it shouldn't be a planet? Because people are all excited by these photos online. I mean, everyone's As looking at them. we should at the, be. We, ha- we are gazing upon a cosmic object that, b- that before last week... No one had ever seen before. That is the essence of discovery. That is, there's a mountain there. I wonder what's on top. I'm going to ascend it. There's a valley on the other side where some exotic plants are growing. I'm going to see them for the first time. All right? And that is discovery, and we've been doing it since we lived in the cave. So uh, it's just nice that in modern times there are still places that you can go where no one has laid eyes upon them before. And that, so it's no less of a discovery, but uh, Pluto didn't all of a sudden become the size of the Earth by visiting it. Pluto didn't all of a sudden adjust its orbit so it doesn't cross that of the planet Neptune, but Pluto crosses the orbit of another planet. That's no kind of behavior for if you want to be a full red-blooded planet in the planet club. I'm just saying, this is, <laughs> this is, and there are other icy well, People bo- get mad at you about this, I know, right? They do. They, they, they but, do. But I'm the messenger. I didn't, you know, but don't why- blame me for the fact that there's a thousand, at least, there are countless thousands of other small icy bodies orbiting beyond Neptune that have kind of similar orbits to Pluto and similar... Why do you think people... I mean, like, personally, but I've never really invested that much in the planet, so I'll own that. If someone said to me, you know, we're taking Saturn out of the the, the planetary um, Mm -hmm. group, I I don't think that I would start tweeting or getting upset. I just, I guess, some guys who know more than me decide... No, one reply, you would say, why? No, you should ask why. I I mean, I should. Ask why. There's there's things I ask why to, things I don't. I don't know that I... Now I probably would ask why, because now you've made me feel like I can actually grasp science in my brain. However... Why do you I'll think people? The media. <laughs> why do you think? And, and we are right now. Yeah, why, do you, the media. why do you think? No, just no. When you can't grasp science, it makes you feel slightly stupid, even if you're smart in other ways. There's something that what you should bl- do is blame the person who is telling you about the science for you not being able to grasp. <sighs> it. Well, that's that. We, I the burden get to is that on them, it. not on you. But and, and, but, and society doesn't. Burden is on me, not on. And you. also, society doesn't really reinforce it once you're out of school. There are a lot of topics that once you get out of school, people stop talking about. Mm-hmm. You do it now, and I think it's part of what you've in done. In part because so, it's viewed as a burden and as a chore while you're in school. You can't wait to get out of it. So Exactly. So then you start going to dinner parties, you start being in the office, and if all of a sudden people start bringing in plutonium and, and start talking about scientific theories, everyone's going to get up and walk out who didn't get a good grade, and, or they're a scientist. But the point is, which I totally forgot my point, why are people, <laughs> why are people so... This, welcome to the world of Tracy and Paul. Why are people so attached to Pluto, Neil? I have hypotheses, and I put them all in my Pluto book. I wrote a book. I know. I, we, okay, but for those who haven't, I, and I read, I've read. Yeah, it's, it's called The Pluto Files, The Rise and Fall of America's Favorite Planet. Yeah. I was in the middle of the controversy, and so I had, like, firsthand access to people's emotions because I got hate mail from third graders, you know, when this <laughs> right. happened back in the day. No, I saw that online. So I just, I, I know about The Pluto Files, but for those out there who are listening who don't, what would you talk about that a minute for us? Oh, no, it's just that it's a retelling of the 
of the, the discovery of Pluto, what people thought it was, what it turned out to be, how it was sort of grandfathered in as a planet, because we didn't, you don't, you can't have a classification of one, a class of one. And so we said, Pluto, what do you do with it? It's like really small. It's made of mostly ice. No other planet is made of mostly ice. Crosses the orbits. Uh, nobody else crosses. We have moons bigger than nobody. You know, so you have all of these problems. We've known since the 70s it was a problem child. All right. But there was no, we didn't know what else to do with it. So we just grouped it with the other eight. In 1995, we discovered, with tel- we, my colleagues, discovered in the largest telescopes in the world in Hawaii, tiny icy bodies orbiting beyond Neptune in a swath of real estate previously undiscovered. And when they were discovered, we learned that Pluto and they have more in common with one another than either of them have with the rest of the planets. That is how you create a whole new class of object. And there you have it. It's the Kuiper belt of icy bodies in the outer solar system. I think Pluto's happier there. It's one of the, yeah. it's one of the king. It's like the king of the Kuiper belt. But why, you know, why, why did so many people become well, so upset and enraged? When you disputed this and said Pluto was just what this, this gangly it, little yucky ice ball that it wasn't a planet. Here's my suspicion. You took it from them. In 1930, Disney drew Pluto the dog coincidentally in the same year that Pluto the cosmic object was discovered. So in our hearts and minds as Americans, Pluto the dog has the same tenure as Pluto the cosmic object. And when do you learn about the planets? In like second or third Mercury, grade. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and not so fast, kid. Back right, exactly. up in the middle. <laughs> and you learn about it in the low grades of elementary school, and that's when you learn about all your Disney characters. And you make the and little so, dioramas yeah. in the boxes. And, you... and so they are in lockstep with one another in our cultural lives. And so I'm Americans had the biggest issue with this. You go to Europe, they didn't care. Fine. But of course. You know? I, I didn't care. I did not bother I, me. Yeah, well, I was... Yeah. I, no, it didn't bother me either, like I said. But it did... I've now researched it in, in preparation for this, and it bothered mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you seem to be the one that they got the most upset with. Well, because I was you were also the visible. most visible. I, I'm here in New York, and we have a huge institution. And you have TV shows. And you have, yeah. it. So I was a big target. But there, uh, I didn't... You know, And I'm an assessor. I drove the car. The getaway car, but I didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> I got people. We got people. <laughs> Mike Brown among them, a professor at Caltech, who discovered other objects out there in the Kuiper Belt that rivaled Pluto in size. Okay, this is totally uh, as usual. I always come up with something that has nothing to do with nothing the conversation. Nothing to do with anything anyone's talking about. When my very first movie role I ever played was in a movie called The Loved One. I played a boy genius named Gunther Fry, and one of his lines was, they were worried about the objects running into each other in orbit, and one of my lines was, with concentric elliptical orbits, it's possible that objects transact an infinite number of times. Thus, And that's all I remember of it, but it just, that oh, line cool. that just talked into my... boy genius comment. In, <laughs> into my head, like and that was you know like what four, fifty years ago, or whatever, and the line just popped into my head and oh, all. Cool. But what about all that trash up there? What about you know? Trash what, is bad. The trash is what, bad. Yeah. The, the trash up in the. Yeah. So if you have a satellite and it, it, it it's a dead satellite or it's somehow you want to destroy it, then all the fragments of the satellite are now sort of floating yeah. in orbit. And if it's high high enough in orbit, there's not enough air molecules in there to slow it down and stop it and have it crash back to Earth. And the great toilet bowl, the the great space probe, space satellite toilet bowl is the Pacific Ocean. Because it's almost an entire third 
of all the longitudes of Earth. So if you want to drop something out of the sky, you just drop it in such a way that it plunks into the Pacific. It's not going to hit anybody. Nobody's going to get hurt. But they do it the part that's kind of away from Hawaii and, and the, oh, and yeah, the, and the yeah, resorts. Yeah, you, just, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you have some control over that. <laughs> right. So you're and, not going like, to be swimming off, you know, say, Mauna Kea and all of a sudden go into it. Right. Plus, Hawaii is a very small percent of the total area I know, of the yeah. Pacific Ocean. So even if you did it randomly, you're, you're pretty safe. So... <laughs> Um, so, we also don't want the Hawaii Tourist Bureau to come after us. Exactly, today. exactly. <laughs> so the low debris trip. falls out of orbit. The high debris will just stay there, and it becomes a forever risk. And they p- captured some of this in the film Gravity. Yeah. If you didn't have a chance, I recommend you see it. There's a yeah. They portray a real scenario where if you destroy one satellite, I'm simplifying the case to make it cleaner to calculate. If you destroy one satellite and it breaks into 10 pieces, now each of those 10 pieces is a projectile moving at 18,000 miles an hour. They then each hit their own satellite, breaking those into 10 pieces. So you go from one to 10 to 100 to 1,000, and there's a rapid total devastation of 100% of the satellites in orbit, and they portray that in the movie Gravity. Yeah, but the extension that you just took it to allows me something to worry about tonight that I had never worried about before, <laughs> that it can, this can continue That's my job. exponentially. To, to give you things to worry about to prevent your slumber. So, Trips so to the you, mini bar now for earlier, you tonight, what, I can what tell. What do you worry about? I mean, you don't look like a man who's consumed with worry, but you know, you've got kids, you've got whatever. You... Well, because I can quantify the risks. Yeah. There are people who worry, but if, but they don't. if you don't think about relative risk, then your energy for worrying is completely misplaced. Yeah. Uh, for example, there there are cases where where there are, take a family where they don't believe in seatbelts and their kids are just running up and down on the back seat of the seatbelt and they without seatbelts and they drive to the mall. They're young kids, just above toddler, right? And they drive to the mall and say, "Stay close to me, so that you're not you're not abducted by someone." <laughs> yeah. Don't. It's like, excuse me, makes you, no sense. You, you don't really understand how risk relative risks work here. So as a scientist, and I'm mathematically fluent, but it doesn't require that, but, but it helps a little. It doesn't require it. I look at risk factors. What, how are you most likely to die by age 5, by age 10, by age 15? And I organize my life to minimize those risks. So, uh, and how, and so... It- Tell us some of those risks. But. <laughs> you want to see? No, no. Well, no, because well, we're all your age. I'm, your, I'm, your, I'm exactly your age. So, you know, what I would have to worry about, I, I would have to worry the same thing you would. If I'm waiting to cross the street, uh, what does it take? Three steps to stand behind a lamppost in case a car jumps the curb? It'll have to hit the lamppost first. Yeah. Then you have awesome. a split second, extra split second to get out of the Little things like that. I think about this all the time. But I don't, but I don't, but to your point, yeah. I don't. I don't, I'm not consumed, not consumed by it. No. Exactly. Just, because I think, well, you know, I'm I one of those goofy guys that thinks what we dwell on, we create. So I, no. if, my, if my head hits a pillow mm-hmm. and there's something on the on the radio that they're, they're talking about the fact that at, at Yosemite or whatever, there is under underneath all that is a, well, is a potential volcano. volcano, super yeah. volcano that is, that could, could end. It's like, they shouldn't have told me about that. <laughs> so I, I didn't really need to know about so, that. So in that case. Um, when I know I can't do anything about it, yeah. it just, doesn't yeah, turn I, it over I am that way too. I do well, like the lamppost. my world. You turn it over. Yeah, yeah. No, but the New York thing, the New York, I do the thing where I count. I try, I try, I've taught my kids that I don't think they do it. Uh, I count backwards by, to at least maybe seven before I cross the street when the light. Because so many cars in New York and cabs in New York just completely screech around corners and they don't look. And oh, no, no. So, 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 that's a risk that really worries me. Okay, can I, can I improve upon that? Yes, decision? please, okay. Neil, please. So what you do is you have to sort of calculate in your head. So as a New Yorker, I don't cross the street when the light is green. 
I cross the street when I can. And if you cross the street when it's green, that doesn't guarantee your safety if a car barrels through the red light. I, I, I agree. So what I do is I scope all the cars in the that are in motion or stopped, and I judge in that instant, can I get across the street? If that car is in, that is in motion does not stop for me, will I be able to get past where it would be when it would hit me if it did not put on its brakes? <laughs> but there are people, while cars are coming to a stop, they just start walking across the street. Not Not me. No, because I don't trust anybody. No, neither do I. And I tell my kids this, but, but and they think I'm paranoid. If there's another car still coming well, up. Well, because usually if you, usually, and I was wrong, and I'm, oh, that's the way that I was told, that be, mm -hmm. allowing for the cars to come, well, you should really do 10, but I, I kind of, I lopped three seconds off. Allowing for cars to come through the the light who mm -hmm. don't stop, and many cars don't, or they try and make the light, and, and they... I can't tell you how many times I've almost been clipped. We all have in New York, you know, with cars going through. Except maybe you who does no, this properly. No, I don't. I'm not almost clipped because I calculated calculate. in my head whether he I would have. Way. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and I calculated right. whether I would have been clipped by a car that did not come right, to a stop. Right, because most never, cars don't. But never, but never miss an opportunity to slap the hood of a car and go, hey, we're walking here. I do do that. <laughs> I've been known to do that. And, 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 and I, 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 I taught at Princeton. And in Princeton, there's like strict rules. You cannot be anywhere near the crosswalk if there's a pedestrian in the cross crosswalk. So, and and in California, you yes. step out in the street, all the cars stop. They all stop. stop. And I'm convinced that all the dead pedestrians in New York were California people <laughs> or people from Princeton <laughs> who just presumed that their presence in the middle of a street that cars drive on somehow makes them immune from getting hit. And the thing is, you can get hit, and it won't be your fault. But you still would have been hit by a car. Still be hit, and yeah. it happens. It doesn't happen in California like it does here. And it's there. It is a, it is a legitimate problem, and I do worry about that. Pro that's that is probably what keeps me up at night the most. Can I ask a really? And that's just that's just New York traffic and the fact that people here do not stop. Can I ask a very esoteric question? Sure. Because. Uh, this you, you, you know, can't I, ask it now. Yeah, like, exactly. It's your you podcast. Know, it's our podcast. You can ask again. what you want. What? But you know when when quantum theory you know evolved the whole you know the 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 the, the mind opening event of, of the the first publication of the of quantum theory and what leaped out at me of course probably my ego what, you, like you read it was, when it first came no, out no. No. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, the book was. Uh, Are you commenting on how old he is, or how no, smart he is? What was the Both. book? It was the, the, the the book that was that was all about quantum theory. That was such a huge book, like in the early seventies. I, I can't remember the name. At any rate, one of the things that, that I read that that was fascinating to me was that, that when they looked at subatomic particles, there was the evidence of stuff having been there as opposed to being there, and that the observer changed yes. what he was observing. Yes. Let's take this and now go this. And do you, as an observer? Have an effect. Just like I the mean, listener you, show that Paul had his fans people. on the thing, and then he raised his hands up in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> so, you were gesturing, you. I appreciate, and I saw yes, your gestures. He forgets he's not on but television what, know, sometimes what, in here. What's fascinating to me is if that works, is if that's been accepted as fact within you know that microcosmic, you know, subatomic particle world. Does it, in fact, you know, as you you know step up to your telescope and you look at the heavens above? Are you affected? I know you're affecting. My normal change people should not talk science. I know you're affecting a change in the people that you're sharing this information with and your passion. Okay. But are you affecting a change in, in the heavens? All right. So let's back up for a minute. So in quantum Can physics, you explain this question to me, please. Oh, sure, sure. Thank you. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, in, in quantum physics, what we learned. <laughs> if you say so yourself. To our astonishment, but it actually made sense when you think about it. All right. When I look at this, I have a bottle of water in front of me uh, at this radio table, and I look at the bottle of water. Uh, it's still a bottle of water before, during, and after I'm looking at it. Well, if I 
if this bottle of water were tinier and tinier and tinier, then it's, I'm looking at atoms. Well, how am I going to look at the atom? I have to illuminate it in some way for me to see it. So now you get down to the, the, the scale of particles, and it turns out particles are affected by the light that shines on them. So is this bottle of water, but not in any important way. It's still a bottle of yeah. water. So now I have a particle sitting in front of me. I say, I want to look at that particle. Well, where is it? I'm going to shine light on it. Boom, I put on the light. The particle sees the light and then jumps to another location, not where I wanted to look at it to begin with. Uh. So the act of observing it changed what it was I wanted to observe. And it has nothing to do with my psychology, my consciousness, my brain. It has to do... With it, if you're going to see where something is, you got to shine light on it Ooh. to do so. If you're going to see where something is, all that's, it is. A that's well, a life there lesson. Goes, I mean, that's an amazing explanation. That's all it is. All it does not come to you in the dark. And when you shine light on it, be aware that in this particular case, in the world of physics, the smaller the particle is, the more it is affected by that same light that you intend to use. And so you have to fold that into how you're analyzing the problem. Now, that concept has been lifted into many, many ways, some of them a bit of a stretch, but I think the most interesting lift was with anthropology. Can you observe a community of people and report on them without the act of observing them having affected what you see? So in other words, uh, let's take a look at um, Margaret Mead. So she sees a tribe of people, and she goes and lives with them to observe them. Well, are you really observing them? No, you're observing how they behave while you're there. So you're changing them. So you're yeah, like making yeah. a documentary on someone. A documentary, exactly. So all of these are kind of philosophically similar. You want to make sure that you can uh, uh, somehow obtain information with the minimum possible disruption. And quantum physics is that to an extreme mathematical limit. So, so, so there it is. And and another thing that was really interesting that you talked about is the fact that, that now with social media, that people are beginning to flock to locations. But, I mean, it's, 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 what you're doing is fascinating. I should have started reading you a long time ago. So you really were that genius kid. You know what you're saying? Uh, I, but, you know, I think that kids, I think, and, and it's something that you talked about, about, and I've got to find my notes, so I'm gonna, um, which is scientific literacy. And... The concept of scientific literacy, which I love, and but how do you take the concept of scientific literacy and apply it to being a better person? Because, I mean, the one thing Paul and I are always, and, and we have a quote of yours up on our site today about, you know, I want to learn something more every day and how am I being a better person every day. Our big thing is how do you make yourself a better person every day? You know, how do you mm -hmm. improve your life? How do you improve giving back? How do you, you know, and, and so but the, the concept. But the quote wasn't how do I make myself a better person. It was. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it badly. Yeah. <laughs> I own that. that. I own my mistakes. I will own my mistakes and, the and not defend them. The prize for paraphrasing does yes. not go to... <laughs> It's okay to paraphrase if the person who said it isn't in the room. room. No, then it, right. then it sucks. But no, it's actually okay because then they can correct you and you're not embarrassed. Right, right, right. So, no, it was... Um, people asked, how do I find meaning in life? And I said, people who search for meaning typically presume in so doing that it's under a rock or behind a tree and it's something to be found that they then obtain, rather than, for my in my life, meaning is what you create, and then you're, you have power over that meaning, and its shape, and its nuances. And for me, I derive meaning in many directions, but in, in many ways, but what 
percolates to the top is, I want to know more today about the world than I knew yesterday. I love that. That is a that is an eternal quest of mine. If a day goes by and I didn't learn something, I think the day was wasted. Okay. Second, how much effort would it take, investment of your own, to take a piece out of your day to lessen the suffering of others? Yeah. And you'd be surprised how little of your own energy that requires in ways that can make a very big difference in others. I'm not saying devote your whole day unless you're that is your thing. But if you're a regular person just going through life trying to make ends meet, there are people who are not as well off as you are. Yep. And what does it take? You, you know, you, you're entertained by a street, a street minstrel. You, you put some money in the cup. Okay. You put money, you, you're paying big bucks to see something on Broadway. So, so you, you participate in this. You, uh, uh, you know, I hate to sound like the Boy Scout, but someone is ready to cross the street. Yeah. You don't wait for them to ask. You offer. You say, can I help you cross the street if they're otherwise infirmed or, or, or aged? Little things. What does that take? These are, these are our six affirmations of personal freedom by which we live our lives and and. And the book that we wrote, it's sort of, it's, and, and as you see, our last one is We Live Our Lives in Love and Service and Gratitude. And, love and, service, and it's, gratitude no, there's and not trust. a day that goes by where we do, we are, we are committed to, we are committed to the act of helping people on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. People we don't know, people that come to us, people that, just through the work that we do. And, and in having people like you to sit and talk to, and if it's making people feel a little bit smarter when they go to bed tonight, when it's like they understand something a little bit better because you've explained it in a mm-hmm. way that helps them, if it's, you know, the, the power of your story of who you've become and how you've become that person and what you've done. I, you know, so, those are the things, and that's you know why I asked you the questions earlier. So, those so are the things to, to me, that, that, uh, to us, that really matter. You I know? left one of your questions dangling, and let me, let me stretch an answer here, maybe beyond where I should, but let me at least attempt it. Yeah. Um, you asked about science literacy. I think traditionally people thought of science literacy as, do I know how an internal combustion engine works, or what is DNA, or evolution, or the Big Bang. That's an aspect of it, but I'd like t- to think of scientific literacy a little differently. Scientific Science literacy is, how is your brain wired for thought? How is your brain wired for inquiry? And so when you're confronted with something you don't understand, do you say, oh, I don't understand that? Or I'll never, do you say, I wonder how that works? I wonder why that works. I wonder if what this person is saying is true about why that works. Someone comes up to you is ready to sell you some crystals. They rub these crystals together and they'll heal your ailments. By the way, it is equally as intellectually lazy to say, oh, you're full of shit, as it is, wow, great, give them to me, I'll use them. Each of those pathways is intellectually lazy. What's harder is to ask questions. What are these crystals made of? Where did you get them? What, if they have the powers that you describe, where are they getting these powers? Yeah. What experiments have been conducted to show that they work in the way you describe? You start asking questions like that, the person goes away in tears, typically, <laughs> because you're trying to get, you're trying to understand the world. Yeah. And by the way, when you understand the world, you become empowered over phenomenon within it. And this stuff, well, I'm a victim of this happened to me. You know, because we all know people where things happen to them. Right. Rather than they yeah. making things happen on their own initiative. Well, if you're going to be out there on the proactive side rather than on the passive side, it'll help to know a little bit about how the world works. That will help. 
No, there's okay. no question. And that is, you know, that is why, well, that, that is, that's what, what we believe, not because we're not scientists, but on a personal note, on, on a daily note, we want people to ask themselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? How can I make it better? By knowing how we behave, by knowing why we may behave, why we have, have the reactions, we have the possibility to then change them. And so it's a science, you know, it's not science, but it's more of a life kind of science. And that's what's interesting to us. I don't have us. a problem with that, but I, I think that there's steps further than it can go. Because the premise that you just shared is there's something I'm doing and we know it's not good, so maybe I should adjust that in some way. And yes, however... Um, there's more going on. There's this something I'm doing, and like, why am I doing that? And what is it actually doing? And what are the consequences of it? And if I adjust this, what will the causes and effects of this be on what I'm encountering and on my life? And once you get more proactive with life as this experiment in progress, I think that can be empowering. That's our book. Neil, you, that's our, our book. book. That's if, exactly if may, our book. You know, this... No, 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 read them now. We don't know. We don't have time to read them now. But, we but don't have time. no, we don't. And we've read them before. And we don't. No, no, no. I'm not going to do it all. But, but, but the the essence of you know my, my favorite is I will make right my is I will learn from my mistakes and not defend them because I defended mistakes so long and all. Mm-hmm. But there, it's a very human there, thing. There's a, right, right. You know, I will examine my behavior on a daily basis. But you know by examining that behavior, looking at the consequences of it, I am all of a sudden I'm beginning to now examine other other avenues to pursue where I can improve my life. And more importantly, as I improve my life, I will almost guarantee you that if I concentrate on a, giving part of that to improving the lives of people around me. Mm-hmm. My life is going to be better, get better. I will live in love and service, gra- gratitude and trust, grateful for the life I have, and trusting that I'll have what I need in the future. I remove fear and fear-based thinking from the way I, pr- I proceed, and I, and I begin to Except discover things. Except across the streets. Yeah. Well, no, but I, th- but I think it's also just in the same way that the universe and the solar system, everything, everything has an action and a reaction. Yes, everything that we do mm-hmm. has an action and a reaction. And, and we have to be aware of that in ourselves. Under, if, you're not, if you're not aware of it, then you'll be changing yourself in a vacuum. Oh, no, you we have to ask the questions. You won't understand why you should be doing it other than people told you it's bad. Oh, no. And, and so the causes and effects, I think, are important. And this point, Paul, you, you made it, it, an important comment just a second ago where you said that your life is, is uh, what do you call it, it's special or important. What, what was the phrase you used? Uh, that, uh, well, let me comment on this. And this is, um, and I, I track this to a recitation given by, by Richard Dawkins where we're, we're alive and we will all die. And many people especially when you get older, that brings some depression to them about that fact. And consider the following, that of all possible combinations of DNA, which numbers in the trillions, the DNA that made Paul Williams actually happened. That combination of DNA actually came together and actually made you. Yeah. And so we, the fact that we die makes us the lucky ones because most humans who could ever live will never be born. Oh. Wow. And that's a that's a great note to go out on. The action and reaction of spending a little time with Neil 
Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson is just really is an eye opener, a heart opener, and a mind yeah, opener. Yeah, yeah. I, Thank you for it's being just the here. Universe. I'm just trying to. Well, you're a great con. You know what? Spread the, love. the universe was smart when they picked you. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel that way. I the think universe, universe was on. They were you. They I had, had no say in the They matter, had their thinking sure. cap on that day. Whoever it was, Neil. Thank you for being here. Thanks thank for you having for, me on the show. A treat. All right. I'll leave you with these last words. Rational thoughts never drive people's creativity the way emotions do. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thank you for everything you give. Thank Doctor, Doctor, Doctor Tyson. You give a little love and it all comes back to you. You know you're gonna be remembered for the things that you say and do. You give a little love and it all comes back to you. You know you're gonna. Say and do